If you have financial problems, we have financial answers. Hey, everybody, Pete the Planner here, CEO of Hey Money. We built this company specifically to help you solve your financial problems, to answer your financial questions without trying to sell you stuff along the way. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could get amazing answers from amazing people for an amazing price of about $20 a month? Yeah, it's pretty great. That's why we created Hey Money. Go to callheymoney.com. That's callheymoney.com. And if you use the offer code radio, that's the word radio, you can get a discount because we like you more than everyone else. Callheymoney.com. Yeah, this is for the people living day to day, living check to check, make a little money, pay some bills. Yo, we neck and neck. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. If you want to email us, please do so. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Good, bad, or otherwise, I'm not going to answer your question the same day you email it because the show's recorded. And today we're recording it with the queen of the desert, a fan favorite back. And she's with us right now on Facebook Live to Kristen from the Your Money Line and Hey Money teams. Kristen, welcome back to the show. Hello, it's so good to be back. We are thrilled that you were with us today, and we're going to dig right in. We've got a great question. It is from Zatch. I believe it's pronounced Zatch. (laughs) Good day, Mr. Dunn. Wrong. Wrong. My father, 74, and my mother, 73, recently sold the office building in the suburbs of Chicago, where his medical office has been located for the last 30 plus years. After paying the lawyers, real estate agents, and splitting the proceeds with his three other partners, my parents were left with around $325,000 American dollars before taxes. My dad plans to continue working for at least the next four or five years, and both my parents are already taking RMDs from their IRAs as well as collecting Social Security. RMDs, of course, Kristen, uh, required minimum distributions. Yes, thank you for letting me know. Well, you are studying for the CFP exam, right, later this year? Yes. Yeah? So you you know all this stuff. I do. If you can see behind me on Facebook Live, I know this is a real good radio and podcast trick. There are CFP study materials right behind me, those blue books. Got the books. Don't have the designation. Let's continue. (laughs) Uh, So with this lump of money, they recently asked me, someone who has zero qualifications in this matter, same, what to do with the money. They did offer a couple of options of what to do with it. My parents still have a mortgage on their current home as well as a vacation home. Being older and still having one, let alone two mortgage payments, is not ideal. Should they use the proceeds to fully pay off the vacation home and then reduce the balance on their current home? They refinanced their current home about three to four years ago into a 20-year mortgage but still owe over $600,000. Should they forego both their retirement or both those options to put the money in a savings account or try to test the market given my dad's plans to continue working? The total balance of their retirement account is currently around $2 million. Well, that amount is nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) I love that phrase. (laughs) It's messy. I feel it is though it is low for their income and lifestyle, especially while carrying multiple mortgages. Not to be morbid, but with them being older, They also are likely to not need the money to last them a normal 20 plus years as they are in the mindset because they want to enjoy the money now and then leave my sister and I an inheritance, which I support. I think the best solution is for them to talk to an actual financial planner, which we also agree with that, but get the sense they are hesitant to do so at this point. Kristen, we go to you, queen of the desert, who has helped over 600 people, nearly 600 people this year. What What do you say in situations like this where someone who 
What do you, what do you do? What, what do you tell them? That there are two, I think there are two things that we have to consider as primaries here. The first is what's most important to them. And he states in his email that they just want to enjoy the money. And then the second thing is how flexible are you willing to be? Because he's right. You know, 2 million is a lot, but not when they're carrying a mortgage payment on a primary residence that's likely nearing like the six grand mark. So that's not, they need to be flexible more than anything. I agree. I I feel when I read this the first time, which oddly enough, Kristen was just now, my (laughs) my first thought, you know how I roll. The first thought for me was they have an incredibly high lifestyle. Like they, they make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money and they found comfort for decades in their lifestyle and not comfort in actual financial stability. Yeah. Which is not uncommon for that generation that it's like, hey, we've always been able to deal with this. So therefore, we have confidence in our problem solving ability. But Kristen, they've always been armed with hundreds of thousands of dollars of work income. And that's mm-hmm. about to all go away. Right. That's That was probably the thing that most concerned me when I was reading through this is they're pulling RMDs, which are probably if the whole balance is subject to an RMD, like 80 grand a year. Mm-hmm. And they're pulling social security and he's still working. So if they're using all that money to live on now, we there's a lot of change that needs to happen before he decides to stop working or and anything can happen to anybody at any time, but they're in their 70s. So he may not have the opportunity to work as long as he wants to. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because I want everyone to make sure they caught what you just said, because it is a it's a nuance of financial planning of, for people north of 70 or actually north of 62, for that matter. If you're still working and you're drawing Social Security because north of 70 and a half, you have to or 70, you have to take it. Um, they are also forced to take RMDs, which are required minimum distribution. So exactly. they had to force their income up. Mm-hmm. So if they increase their lifestyle when they did that, just prior to a period of time in which they have to decrease their income, it is incredibly dangerous. And no one realizes that more income can actually hurt you. But in this circumstance, this is a classic example of how more income just prior to shutting it down in the 70s is a big problem. It is. And we can't know the exact numbers, especially because we don't know what, how much of a mortgage is left on the vacation house, right? The mortgage on the primary house just by itself is going to be nearing 50% of their retirement income. So, I mean, I, I maybe tend to be a little more conservative about debt in retirement. And I don't know that I would call 50% of your income, even conservative, but I mean, they've got to eliminate a liability or they need to decrease a liability. I actually think that a really interesting approach that might work well for them is instead of paying off the vacation home, if they applied the net, cause the 325 is before taxes. So if they applied that net to the refinanced home, which was three to four years ago, we all know mortgage interest rates are really low. Maybe that would bring that payment down. So instead of having one giant payment, if they could have two more realistic payments. And then when he stops working, the goal is either you pay off the vacation home or if I had it my way, you you sell the primary residence and you live in the vacation home. Yeah, I like that plan. I think they 
that gives them the flexibility they need. And you said it best when we started this thing. Someone in that position needs options. They need flexibility. The decisions you make around retirement are so massive and and in many cases, irreversible. Right. I think sometimes you find people that, you know, retire too early and then they realize that when they retire and let go a good career and job, that they can't just jump back into the job market. And right. so therefore that's an irreversible decision that they try to reverse. In this circumstance, one of the things I would want these folks to focus on is truly decreasing their lifestyle and almost running a mock retirement. Like right. practice living on what your income will be three to five years from now just to prove it. Because I'm not sure no. there's proof of concept of their financial ability here. No. I think that's exactly right. And that was kind of why I liked the idea of paying down the larger mortgage and then using the income from working years to hopefully pay off the vacation home before retirement. And then in retirement, they wouldn't have to adjust that primary mortgage yet again without earned income. So I think it was just an approach to maybe lower their debt to income ratio because that's the reality is they they carry too much as far as liabilities are concerned. You know what sticks out to me here too, Kristen, is that so often you hear these big numbers. Like I just got 300,000 from selling my business and I got two mil in the bank and I got a 600,000. And so the, the, the layman's ear hears that and goes, well, these people are fine. Right. No, no. <laughs> they, they really are. And I, I'm never shocked by how shocked people are that people like this have really serious financial problems, not, oh, I'd like to have those problems. No, you no, wouldn't. No. Like, this is a problem. This and, is a problem. Uh, they're, well, we're running up against the break here, but they need to cut their spending. Yes. And you're right, probably cut some of that debt too. Coming up after the break, more of the Pete the Planner show with the Queen of the Desert. I'm Pete the Planner. This is our new musical interlude. Yeah. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Queen of the Desert, Kristen joins us from Yuma, Arizona. Yuma, Arizona is hotter than, well, me inside my office with no circulation on any given day during the summer. Kristen, what's the temperature, what's the high temp in uh, Yuma today? I think like 110. 110. Is that Celsius centigrade? What are are we talking here? Kelvin? Uh, It's just hot. I always tell people that to really know what it feels like to live in the desert, um, if you like preheat your oven, you're going to make a pizza, right? And you just, when it's to temp, you just pull it open till that first, the hinge catches that first spot and then just kind of stand over the oven. That's what uh, summer in Yuma feels like. All right, dear Pete, upon retirement, I have an option of taking a cash payout from the pension. It would be $233 thousand dollars the other option is a lifetime annuity which would pay out one thousand two hundred and seventy one dollars per month it is with fidelity i believe is the pronunciation there what is the better option is there a possibility of not receiving payments if my company folds after i retire are there other advantages or disadvantages with either option signed suella it could be suella or suella which Swella seems like an amazing hip hop group that I'd go see. Live at the Palladium, Swella. Would you go to that? No. You're a country music fan though too, right? That's true. That's yeah, also it's true. Too bad. It's too bad. Um, so what, what? I love this question. This is like a classic, like our company, 
started yeah. by helping people with these types of decisions back in the, the late 2000 aughts. Uh, what, what do you think? What, what jumps out to you anytime you hear the old lump sum pension situation? How old are you? And how 42. healthy are you? Oh, huh. I thought you were, I was like, this is getting weird. I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> how old they are, how healthy they are. And if this is truly their retirement, or if this is retirement from a primary income source, and now I'm going to work maybe another decade somewhere else as well. I think that those are the things that I like to know in situations like this. Yeah, here's the thing for me. My gut, based on her language and how she describes it, this feels like her nest egg. I agree. Yeah, I don't I don't view this as one of those, well, I have this, then I have this. This is it. She may have a little 401k, and I, I don't that sounded very condescending. A little 401k. I'm very sorry. She may have a 401k, but from what I've seen, it'll probably be $150,000 or less. Mm-hmm. So here's what always sticks out to me on these. You either Take the $233,000 and try to create your own income stream out of it with whatever knowledge you have, whatever risk tolerance you have. And then you take on the risk of the market getting hammered or you let someone else deal with that risk. And in that case, that is what an annuity payment is. You're, you're essentially transferring the risk to an insurance company. I did some quick back of the napkin math here. And by that, I just mean on my calculator. The $1,271 per month payments, Kristen, that, that works out to me to roughly a 6.5% distribution yeah. uh, rate compared to the $233,000 lump sum. And when I say that, what I mean is for Swella to take the $233,000, she would have to recreate a 6.5% distribution rate on her own. Yeah in order to beat the annuity of payment that is being offered to her. And as you know, that ain't no. happening. No, that's not happening. That's that's why if this is, this is my retirement and I'm done and this is my primary source of income, I don't know that someone could make... A lot of the time, I think you can see both sides of a situation. Like you could argue this point or you could argue this point, but I would have a really hard time with the decision to take the lump sum here. You know, I used to be a financial advisor, of course, before being banned from the industry for a Ponzi scheme. But no, I'm just kidding. That part is not true. But I did used to be a financial advisor. And I remember always, always feeling like the pension payout was a better choice than the lump sum. Sure. But I'll have to tell you, a majority of the financial planning industry would much rather you take the lump sum because they want to participate in the management of that money. But... I mean, how much, Kristen, do you take into account just economic ruin and the strength of Swella's pension plan? Like, is that something she should look into? Yeah, I I would say look up how solvent your pension is for sure. I think that as a rule, that space is a little scary right now, in my opinion. Um, Again, I'm maybe a little more conservative from that approach, but I think you made a valid point in that an advisor is likely to say, let's invest the funds. But, and I probably would have said that too when I was right out of school, but that's because I hadn't, I hadn't dealt with, and I'm not saying advisors don't do this as a rule. I'm talking about myself specifically. I hadn't dealt enough with consumer behavior and this is going to rely on her to be willing to see the ups and the downs in the market. If her 233,000 was invested, 
you know, three months ago with the outbreak of COVID-19, was she going to be able to leave the money invested when her account balance was down 30, 40%? Probably not. So most people, I think it totally depends on how much experience and your gut for risk. And I, again, I think an advisor would probably argue that you could do this, but I, I don't, I would take, I would take the annuity payment probably. And to, to compare that, she is likely if she were to take the lump sum and create her own income stream. And if you're watching on Facebook, you saw me shake my shoulders when I said income stream, I don't know what's happening. She would pay her, be able to pay herself $679 a month at a three and a half percent distribution rate compared to what I say, 1200 a month, 1271, not even close. Okay. So let's, let's get into actionable steps for uh Swilla. She should go to her company and say, can you please give me whatever pension documentation you have? Yes. And she should, with whatever knowledge she has, try to understand the strength of that pension. And, and I mean, Kristen, where can you, honestly, this sounds like a loaded question, but it's not, where can a person take this pension information and have someone interpret that for them. Cause it's unlikely that the average person is going to be able to uh, evaluate the strength of their pension. If they take it to the financial advisor, the financial advisor is incentivized to tell them it's not strong. So where should they go? Am I supposed to plug call? Hey money. No, you're not. <laughs> but I mean, you could, but I know, I mean, we could, we could do that, but at the same time, I mean, I, yeah, forget us. Where, where can a person, what can they do? To be honest, I don't know. I don't know how someone who doesn't have a trusted individual in their corner with some basis of knowledge in this space, I don't know how the average person is supposed to navigate this space. I don't. Yeah, it's interesting. David on Facebook Live, who's joining us right now, just said pensions are usually overestimating their returns. Um, Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that being said, most individuals are also overestimating their ability to generate returns too. Um, now, there, there's a couple other factors here. If uh, Swella needs to, if she gets the pension, she's going to need to figure out the survivor benefits as she happens to have a significant other uh, that she's married to because that's a proponent or a, a component, I should say, of survivor benefits. And then the other factor, of course, in all of this is conceivably she could take the lump sum if for some reason she found a a fixed investment, a fixed annuity, or even an index annuity or something where she could get six and a half percent. But I don't like, I don't know if I like that idea either. I, I feel like I if I'm her and her pension is stable enough, I just take the, the pension payments instead of the lump sum, especially if this is her nest egg. I agree. And she did ask, it's worth mentioning, we're literally running out of time. The Guarantee Corporation insures a max of like, I think it's like 5,800 a year mm-hmm. on pensions. So, I mean, I guess worst case scenario that if the pension was insolvent, if it was insured, that her annual benefit would be the, and it's usually adjusted, but right now it's like 5,800, I think. 5,800 a year? I think. So that is pretty much what she'd be able to pay herself with her own distribution rate. All right, coming up after the break, more of Kristen, Queen of the Desert. I'm Pete the Planner. This is another interlude. I used it to separate the segments. You'd think, don't you have something better to do than make these awesome songs? The answer is no. Enjoy the next segment. 
Back on the Pete the Planner show, Kristen, Queen of the Desert, joins us filling in for Dame. Kristen's out in Yuma, Arizona. By the miracle of the fax machine, she's able to join us right here live on the show. Thank God for technology. Kristen, there was an unsettling article that came out this week on Kenbick, Kenbick, CNBC. Uh, there's a wave of selling estimated to be in the billions that's about to hit the stock market at the end of June. The report goes on to say the final day of June is about a week away. And Wall Street is already speculating that there's the potential some asset allocators like pension funds could take the big gains from the second quarter because there have been big gains in the second quarter and move them into bonds. Now, Kristen, cardinal rule of investing, buy low, sell high. And so when things get high, when you get some gains, you got to take them. And that's what asset allocators, that's what rebalancers do. And that is the fear. I, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've And maybe this is shame on me. At no point in time have I ever considered this, that at the end of a quarter, the market's going to tank because everyone's selling to get gains. I've never really even thought of that. I, I read this article and I really struggled to understand. I understand that maybe it's a bigger sell-off but rebalancing is happening all the time. And we just had this swing back up in the market. So I guess I really had a hard time getting on the same level as this article. I didn't, it didn't strike me as super worrisome. And even if there is this really big sell-off, well, then I'm going to buy low into equities. I Yeah. This hurts no one. Um, no one. It hurts people that stare at the market and and hope to feel good, bad about it. So uh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Right. No, I'm curious. I always like to ask like really smart financial people, like what they personally do. Do you have a rebalancing strategy? Is yours automated? I, I, do you not? And it's okay. One way or the other. No, it's very, very passive approach. And actually trying to understand the point of this article, I read another article by a company that showed the long-term impacts of different I guess, intervals of rebalancing. And they yeah. took the same portfolio. What would have happened if we would have rebalanced once a quarter, once a year, once every three years? And the return was basically the same over the course. They It was like 80 years of some or something like that measured in the market. And I guess I just don't get that worked up about it. Yeah, I have mine set to rebalance automatically every yeah. six months. Um, but I don't put a lot of thought into it. Um, all right. Hey, you know what? I saw another article that, uh, our dear friend, Gail, gold star Gail sent over to star us, Gail. gold star Gail down in Austin, Texas. One of our other wonderful coworkers, there is a bid to cap payday loan interest rates at a measly 36% in Nebraska. Currently it's at 404%. So in Nebraska specifically, if you go to get a payday loan, Nebraska's got your back because they're not going to let some <laughs> jerk charge you 405% to Just borrow 36. money. 404 though. That's, that's okay. Kristen, um, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this topic. Do we get people dealing with payday lenders at uh, your money line? No, not. I don't think that I've ever had someone in, but the other side of that is that doesn't necessarily mean that they haven't used a payday lender because I think as far as, you know, 
fear of disclosure of certain types of loans or debts that someone has, I think this ranks up with, I'm not willing to talk about it. So I also wouldn't be surprised if someone I had talked to didn't disclose that maybe they had a payday loan in the past, just because I think there's probably a lot of um, concern or maybe even, I don't know if shame is the right word around um, having to go to a place like this. Yeah. And, and I'd like to say, if you're listening now and you've ever considered that, please, please don't, Mm-mm. don't go to a payday lender. No. Um, I understand you're in a jam. I think you need to look for other ways to solve that problem. Um, I'm not saying if you've done it, you've done something wrong, but we'd certain you have, but I don't want you to fixate on that. I don't want you to, because, you know, I read a study once, this is probably 2008, 2009, that said the average person who has one payday loan, who gets one payday loan, ends up with eight because it traps you. Right. Because you can never keep up. And mm-hmm. so th- that's terrible. I know in Indiana at one point, there was a thousand percent interest on, on payday loans. And I think the factor here is this, and, and this is, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but this is also not a conspiracy. That lobby for that industry is so powerful that it's the same with debt consolidation and places like that. It's so powerful. They contribute so much to politicians' campaigns that the people at the local level making these decisions to protect you know, our community, they're not making those decisions because they get political contributions to keep rates at 404% in Nebraska, when in fact, 38% is arguably predatory. No? Yeah. And I just kind of think this is interesting because the space that we live in, so um, the military actually is not to use payday lenders. There, I don't know if it's federal protection that's put in place. Um, and I just, that would be something, I understand why those protections exist, but to see that extended to larger groups of people would be phenomenal because payday lenders are not to lend to active duty service members. That's interesting. Now, I, I, what I've learned through you and some other coworkers who have worked in that industry, there's a ton of protection for mm-hmm. people in the armed forces. But Kristen, the, the ugly, sad reality to that is because they are so often preyed upon yes. by horrible organizations. Horrible. Horrible. Um, horrible. And so they have protections. There, there's entire organizations like ours. Now, we don't do a lot with the military, but there are organizations similar to ours, that problem-solving education aspect, who actually only serve the military because that's right. how big of a problem it is. Yeah, it's, it's a really big problem. And it's interesting you say that because my Instagram profile, it's clear that I'm somehow affiliated with that group of people. And I had someone direct message me in a very similar setup to what we've seen like happen in predatory situations. This person sent me a message and they actually were trying to impersonate someone who was semi-famous in the community. So I screenshot it, the real profile and sent it to them. And I was like, don't do this. Someone slid into your DMs and tried to... Yeah. And it was, there are some very similar scams that happen where someone pretends like they're another member of the community. And um, we certainly don't have time to get into all of that, but they, that's how it was setting up. And I recognized it for what it was. And it's just, it's just so unfortunate. I love this story because it just, it just says it like it is. Sometimes I feel like companies 
uh, are able to hide behind press releases. But a new report shows that a whopping 37% of pandemic-related complaints to regulators about credit card companies between March 16th and May 20th came from one company, customers of one company, City, C-I-T-I, because it's catchier when you change a letter. Uh, City, 37% of the complaints were about City. You think they have a problem, Kristen? I really want to give them some sort of benefit of the doubt, but I'm thinking you've got a problem. I mean, no, look, here's the thing. No one knew what to do in March and April as business leaders, people who make decisions with organizations. Chris, you just you just do the best you can. You, You try to make the best decisions for your employees and your vendors and your customers and everyone else. But I, I would, I would, I think they got it wrong because when thirty-seven percent of the entire industry's complaints are about you, I One think company. you pulled the wrong lever. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not good. good. All right, here's what's going to happen. Here's how the show works. Kristen is filling in this week for Damian, Queen of the Desert. She's out in Yuma, Arizona, joining us here. Uh, you can always catch her work by potentially working with her. You can go to callheymoney.com. If you use the offer code Kristen, that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N, you get 10% off and maybe she will be your person. And well, that'd be great for you because she's a genius. Uh, Kristen, coming up after the break, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Buam, biggest waste of money of the week. Did I tell you to bring one or is it just going to be me? Uh, that was just a head you. shake. So it's all me. And then with more current events right here on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. Fourth segment here we go after this it's no more show this week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the pete the planner show is okay so there's a couple things here Kristen. uh if you're just joining us now Kristen, queen of the desert joins us she put away her notes and now she's sitting uh great like a, like a, a news anchor at her desk in yuma arizona how do i know this because we're streaming live on facebook live like we do every friday at noon as we record the show that's noon eastern not yuma time she had to wake up crack of dawn to spend her time with us today Kristen, um i'm going to give you two today i'm going to give you one that is a giant waste of money and then i'm going to give you something that's awesome and that you should probably spend your money on okay deal you ready what do you want first the one that i should spend my money on okay let's do that all right, so this week's buy this is the Death Star Ice Mold. Keep your favorite beverage cool and your fandom strong with this Death Star Ice Mold. Officially licensed, it's made from food and dishwasher-safe, BPA-free, FDA, LFGB-approved silicone. Those were all letters. They were really there. Mm-hmm. That peels back once frozen to reveal an icy two-and-a-half-inch replica of the iconic base. For maximum effect, pair it with a Star Wars-themed drink like the Kylo Rye, Rancor's toothpick or the cocktail of the same name. It's $14. It's a silicone, silicone. Well, no one knows. And you pour water in it, it makes a big ice mold. You drink the whiskey? Because sometimes you put a big ice cube in whiskey. Do you drink the drink the whiskey? No. Mr. Kristen, drink the whiskey? Mm, no, but he's a huge Star Wars fan, so. Maybe you get him this for his ice seltzers. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You just told everybody on Facebook that he drinks hard seltzers. <laughs> well, you told everyone on Facebook that he drinks hard seltzers. That's FYI. True. <laughs> All right. So for 14, are, do you like the Star Wars? I, I, you seem like one of those people who are like, I've never seen it. No, I've never seen it. That was right on. I've never seen it. How did I know, I know. that about you? Like, you know, you always assume the people you like, like all the same stuff as you do. You know how that is? 
Like if I'll, this is a thing. Let's talk about this. Okay. Okay. So prior to this pandemic, you know, I get on airplanes a lot and go talk to people and then, and that's what I did, uh, as part of my job. And so occasionally all the time, people will come up to me afterwards and, and be like, Oh, that was fun. And they'll enjoy it. And so we exchange words. And then because they want to, they want to think that you think like them, they'll make a, a political statement or, or something like that to, to say, yeah, you're on my side. Right. And it's weird. I, this is a, it increased in the last five years or so, as you, as you might imagine. Um, but it's always been a thing. Like when people feel like they connect with you, they want you to agree with their political philosophy. That's what I've learned as someone who speaks to hundreds of thousands of people a year. It's very strange. And I've learned how to just turn their own statement around without agreeing or disagreeing with them. And it's like my, my very special skill. Yes. Staying politically neutral is probably best. Um, so, uh, the biggest waste of money of the week really here on the show. And for some of you might remember that in the midst of the pandemic, very at the very beginning, I should probably find the date right here. I had an incident and the incident was I was cleaning my garage and I dropped the tackle box, fishing tackle. And one of the things I dropped was a, 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 a lure with what are called treble hooks, treble hooks. Uh, they look like a little chandelier, but they're filled with pointy things that, that rip holes in a fish's mouth. And, and so here's the thing, Kristen, I dropped it and then went to pick it up. This was on April 30th, 2020. And it sunk deep into my nail. So instead of ripping, well, near my nail, my nail bed. And I had to go to the emergency room in the middle of a pandemic and have them turn the hook into a new hole from the underside and come out of my skin. And then it hurt very bad, but I wore a mask. And so I got the emergency room bill for this incident. And I want you to guess what it costs to get a treble hook out of a dummy's thumb during a (laughs) pandemic. Okay. So you know a lot about this stuff. You are one of the foremost experts on money in the world. You're in the top 1%. How much did it cost to do this? How many thousands? No, that's I'm asking you. Ugh. Four. It's a good guess. It was three thousand two hundred and thirty-nine dollars and eighty cents. Now, close. after some insurance bickering, um, <laughs> not me, but like my insurance company, and we sure. have terrible insurance. I mean, just terrible. Charles Barkley style, terrible. Terrible. They took off $2,311.15, which is pretty good. Okay. Sure. So my dummy move only <laughs> cost my family $928.65. So when I got this bill in the mail, I went to my daughter and I was like, look, you're not going to college now. <laughs> right? I just told her straight up. No, it's interesting to see, you know, they kind of itemize the bill here, what things cost. Um, Just being in the facility itself cost $2,800. Like just being in the facility itself cost $2,800. What? Then the nurse practitioner that came in and she was interesting. She, she cost $138 for her time. And then the physician's assistant, Ryan, he cost $278 for his time. He shot me um, with, uh, whatever, uh, in the thumb to numb it. I can't think of the name, but anyway, that's a lot of money. 
It's a lot. All right. Also in the world happening this week, a Michigan man wins $4 million in a lottery scratch-off card game. Again, he won the lottery twice. Now, Kristen, when I, I, I hesitate to read stories like this because my message is always, hey, y'all, don't waste don't. your money on the lottery. Right. Um, but he, this guy won twice. How do you win twice? Four million dollars. Are you a uh, are you a lottery player? Do you play it all the time out there in the Arizona? <laughs> no. And how much did he win the first time? Well, I'm looking. I was hoping you wouldn't ask that because I haven't found it yet. Sorry. I'm reading the article. <laughs> all right, four million the first, uh, four million the second time. He won four million twice. No, he didn't. In 2017, this feels like McMillions. No, like this has to be a, is... a fraudulent activity. There's no house to. I mean, I'm not good at stats, but there's there's no way. I'm not good with numbers, but I'll tell you right here on this financial show that... Um, Statistics are different from personal finance, Okay, but come on. Four million bucks. All right. So classic question. I love okay. this. This is like the ultimate, like you have nothing to talk about at a party and I never do because I first of all, I don't want to be there. Do you like going to parties? No. Oh, I don't either. There it is. If I'm at a party and you won $4 million and your and your lump sum after taxes is $2.5 million, okay? What are you doing with $2.5 million right now? Like, I like try, try to map it out a little bit here. What would you do with two and a half million bucks? Well, first, we're going to pay David's, Mr. Kristen's law yes. school tuition. That's what we're going to do. You're going to pay his what? His law school tuition. Ah, law school. Yes. Yeah. And then... I'm going to, this is so boring. I feel like yeah. th there's an episode of friends where they talk about this and Ross is like, I'm going to invest it. And yeah. that's, I don't want it to change my life. Not right away. I don't think. Yeah. I would just invest it. I think I'd, you know, examine hair plugs or whatever. <laughs> um, I think I'd invest it. I think I'd, you know, I've always wanted to pay my parents back for college. Sure. You know, they, they generously paid for it. And, you know, again, it wasn't crazy expensive when I went to college. I went to a private liberal arts school in, from 96 to 2000, and it was 12000 when I entered a year and 16000 when I left, which that's reasonable, right? But I always feel like if, I, if that happened, something like that, I, I would want to say, all right, thank you. I know you're not going to want to accept this, but thank you. I feel like that would be a cool move, right? I mean, do you feel like Absolutely. you could get away with that at $2.5 or Well, yes, $2.5 yeah. million. Bucks. Sure. Absolutely. Just break them off 50 grand. <laughs> Here's a cool 50 K. Exactly. Right. Kristen, this was a pleasure having you on the show. So you're going to do it again or are you tapping out? Are you done forever? I mean, you're the boss. So no, I'm not. Damien's your boss. All right. That's listen, <laughs> thank you so much. We are glad you're in the desert so that you can spread your genius to all of those affected by sand and heat related illnesses. So thank you, Kristen. Anytime. Uh, that's it for this week's show. If you want to listen to more shows, you can go to PeteThePlanner.com. You can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening all over the world and beyond. I don't know what that means. Send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the Pete the Planner Show. All right, the show's over now, so like, go do something else. Like, like Read a book. Try to watch some educational television. You know, do something good for your community. I mean, like... Cause I'm done. That's all I got to offer you this week. So, uh, yeah, I, I gotta go.